Hello, my friend, and welcome uh, to the extension of the Born Save podcast. So this podcast is called Two or More, uh, and it's a play off of the verse in the Bible that says, where two or more are gathered, I am also there. You know, and I really, in my experience of life, have found that when I'm in my godness and another person is in their godness, truly God is there because we are just creating. But upon further reflection of this verse, um, I, I kind of just thought about where two or more are gathered, right? Like we normally would literally read that or interpret it as people where two or more are gathered. But the truth is this could be anything where two or more are gathered in their godness as everything is God, there I also am there. So the podcast is two or more. I mean, kind of as a play as No Man is an Island. Uh, it's a podcast where we're going to traverse all the aspects of new paradigm relationships. Relationship to self, uh, to, to partner, to children, to business partners, to collaborative relationships, to friends, to family, to acquaintances, and then to those that require boundaries. Uh, in that, we're also going to go over relationship to addiction and to escapism and to our relationships with our soul and our bodies and our creation, our art, you know, um, I really just wanted to be our relationship to, to all things and really looking at what do new paradigm, uh, relationships look like? What are new paradigm relationships? Um, how would they be defined? You know, how, um, do we access them? How do we live them out? You know? And so today what I really wanted to look at, um, is a story, um, from the Old Testament in the Bible. And this is why I say two or more is an extension of, you know, born saved in that it, the message of the Bible is that you are God, right? I really think that Jesus as an avatar, whether, you know, whether your belief is that he, the man did come and die and raise, rose again, which is also totally fine and is a beautiful, um, you know, belief and thought process. The other is, is the metaphor, right, of what Jesus, the avatar, um, you know, or Christ consciousness that lives in each of us um, was trying to say when they were here. And, and for me, my interpretation of it was that we are God, right? That seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Where is the heaven? Where is heaven? Oh, the kingdom is inside of you. Oh, and to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must become like a child. You must, right? Don't look at the birds of the air, not even Solomon in all of his splendor, you know, was dressed like the lilies of the field or, or, or got to live like the birds of the air. But do they worry about tomorrow? So be present, right? Um, going back to really foundationally the two pieces of scripture from the Bhagavad Gita and then the first two noble truths of Buddha. And the Bhagavad Gita is that we are to do the best that we can in all things, but to be unattached to the results of those actions, right? And the first two noble truths are is that everything is suffering is number one. And that the second is that the reason for that suffering is our attachment to it. So, so really, I, I, I wanted to kind of have a place where we're showcasing not only our relationship to self, and like the, what self-awareness and self, you know, um, development really looks like, but really to focus in on how are those and the things around us helping us to nourish who and what 
we are called to be. So I wanted to just really look at um, a story of what I really believe embodies new new paradigm relationships in the Old Testament Um, and the relationship of Jonathan, um, who was the son of Saul, who was the first Israelite king, and of David, who basically was the anointed one from the get-go. He, you know, if you've heard of the story of Goliath, he was the one who showed up and was like, what's going on on this battlefield? You know, he came to visit his two brothers and saw that everyone was cowering in fear to this um, to this giant. And he said, okay, I'm going to step up and uh, I'll, I can do it. You know, in the stories, he tried on King's armor, Saul, who was the king. Um, it didn't fit him you know, tried his sword, everything, nothing fit him. And so all he did was go into battle with this 10-foot giant, you know, and, and had his smooth stones that he had picked from the river. And uh, yeah, by by believing in his godness, right, he was able to, to kill him. And so this is where you can look at the story as literal. You can read and look at, you know, the lineage of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, literally, or you can... You know, or you can do both, or you can look at it metaphorically, you know, and look at like Bible characters. I heard this from um, Aaron Neville, uh, where he's talking about like each character in the Bible is a consciousness, you know, that we embody and that, you know, in throughout humanity is embodied, you know. And so if you look at David, um, right, there's a con- the consciousness of David, but, and this is also where there's, um, a recent uh, podcast, and I forget her name. I'll put her in the show notes. Um, but Jazz and I have really been digging her. But she's like a really, uh, like her belief is that like, you know, Jesus died, rose again, um, that she is saved by Jesus's blood. It atoned for her sin. But the way that she is listening to the God and herself talk about the Bible, I Jazz and I have been really moved by it because she's so... She's not listening to anyone else's interpretation of it. But she even said, like, I came to this conclusion that, you know, we're told, like, oh, be like David. He had a whole heart for God. Or be like this person, right? Because they're who I should embody or look at my life. But then she said, like, they're just archetypes and people that I can draw connection to um, and solidarity, but also say my life and my path or my dharma is mine. You know, I don't have to go that route. And so when I read, you know, the stories, I, I for me, I actually do think that these people lived and, and existed, you know. Um, but I also really draw so much connection to them as consciousness, like embodiment of consciousness, you know. So basically, as I was saying, right, you have this anointed person in David. And actually, if you look at the Bible, like David's lineage is actually like where Jesus comes from. Um, so you have this you have this anointed king, but let's actually go back a little bit and, and realize that actually, if you read in the Old Testament, that the Israelites, as God's chosen people, and again, the consciousness of God's chosen people, not of the literal lineage of Abraham, right? Because Abraham was made a covenant with God because he was accredited with faithfulness. So God was going to say, I will make your descendants outnumber the stars based off of based off of the idea of faithfulness, like of God, to see in the unknown, to believe in the unknown, so much so that I will go against creed and tribe and I will move 
into the desert. I will leave everything that I have ever known. I will bring my people with me. Um, and we'll just see what this new journey is about. You know, accredited to then Jacob, right? Like God recommitting his covenant as Jacob, um, you know, wrestled with him, you know, wrestled with God, the story goes. And like, no, your name is no longer Jacob, but it's Israel after God asked him, what is your name? You know, um, and he, again, he was given you are Israel, the chosen people of God, because of the consciousness that he was embodying, not as the literal lineage. Like that's not, again, God is not moral. God does not pick sides. God does not bless. Like God just protects the balance of all things. And so that's like the, you know, every action has a natural and actual reaction. Um, so with, so, so this lineage, right, we're looking at, um, of God's chosen people were never actually supposed to have a king. So, but it was only by the people's demand and their free will as God to say, no, we want a king, right? So the prophets of the day basically chose, you know, Saul as the first Israelite king, you know, because he was valorous, he was wise, he was strong, good breeding, all the things that are the characteristics of a king, right? And so he had a son, named Jonathan. And this is where the story picks up. Um, is So we're going to be reading actually literally from 1 Samuel 19. Um, and this is basically what had happened is David, because he at, was really like in his God identity when he was younger, um, he found tremendous favor with, with the Israelites. Um, and he had great victories in battle and God favored him and, um, life just favored him. He was manifesting from his place of deepest, you know, genuineness. And, and this made Saul jealous, right? The mirror of David and what he was, was a threat to his kingdom and to, you know, his reign and to Jonathan's reign and stuff. Um, and so we pick up the story where Saul is battling, um, and this is Jazz definition, but the devil, right? Like in, in the definition of devil here is uh, when you are divided against yourself, right? So you're divided against your, your God identity, whether it be through ego, through trauma, through programming, you know, for whatever reason, Saul cannot get over the fact of his jealousy or how he is divided against himself. And so we start off with saying, um, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. And this is, yeah, again, 1 Samuel 19. But Jonathan had a great liking to David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out, stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He was not wrong. He has not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. And that's Goliath he's referring to. The Lord won a great victory for all of Israel. Again, right? Israel, God's chosen people, those who wrestle with God. So those of us who are willing to look at our own godness. Um, and you saw and were glad. Then that why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took his oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. 
So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before, as as he saw David as this just, again, to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? To be God, you must become like a child. And this was David from the get-go, just showing up. Oh, what's going on? There's a, there's a giant? Okay, sure, I can take him. But then it says, but an evil spirit um, from the Lord. And this is where it's like literal translation. God sent a spirit, you know, to... Uh, to Saul, which some people you could believe that, and that's fine. I just look at it, but an evil spirit, right? A consciousness that was divided against Saul, the person who had previously just made a covenant um, to say David will not be put to death, um, came into him. And he thought in his worldly title and position as king, he could do whatever he wants. So while David was playing the lure, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with a spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and kill him in the morning. But uh, Michael, who was Saul's daughter, who David had married, so this is actually his son-in-law, let David down through a window and he fled and escaped. Then Michael took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair at, at its head. Um, and then basically Saul asked, why, why, did, why would you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he escaped? She told him, he said to me, let me get away. Why should I kill you? When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel, who was the prophet, um, who had prophesied that he would be king, as well as Saul, um, and told him what had happened. Saul heard about this and sent men to, men to capture him. Uh, Saul was told about it and he sent more men. Saul sent men a third time and they also prophesied. Finally, he himself went to where Samuel was. But the Spirit of God came even on him, and he walked along prophesying until he came back. He stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all that day and all that night. This is why people say, is Saul among the prophets? And so basically, he went to kill David himself in the presence of God, right? To where two or more were gathered as God. Saul went, but he was so overcome by the energy that he, him too, was prophesying. So this is where we go into Samuel 20 where this is, to me, the definition of new paradigm relationships. Um, and so Jonathan, as the embodiment or the consciousness of self-nourishment, of self-responsibility, of knowing who am I as God and what is my purpose and where am I at, you know, um, is, uh, is showing David something. So, so when David came back, he, um, he asked Jonathan, his friend, he said, what have I done? What is my crime? How, how have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? And Jonathan just, Jonathan just says, never. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So, so David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon feast and I, and I am supposed to dine with the king, but let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell me. 
Tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for this whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? And Jonathan just said, never. If I had the last inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go out in the field. So they went there together. And this is interesting, right? Because David, this is to me where you start to see him questioning and uh, really having skepticism around his, you know, anointed like calling. Uh, and Jonathan's the one having to reassure him, like, listen, I, I love you. Um, and there's nothing that I would do to betray that over titles, you know? And I think my interpretation of it is that David is starting to see why and understand why Saul wants him dead because he thinks and knows he's supposed to be king. And, and so he doesn't want him to be alive, you know? And so John, I mean, of course, David would question this is like what our natural programming would, would be. Um, but this is what Jonathan says to David. I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, right? So I swear by the Lord, I swear by God, the God of Israel, the God of Israel, right? Of the chosen people that coming from the line and consciousness of Abraham, those who have faith in the things that they cannot see and those that wrestle with their own godness, that I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely. If I do not let you know and send you away in peace, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying may the Lord call David's enemies to account even his own father right so this is Jonathan is so nourished and is so um, holding his own pose as God that he reaffirmed his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself, right? So, and Jonathan had David reaffirm. So David, he made David also say this, his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. Then David said to, then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow's a new moon feast, you'll be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow, toward evening, go to the place where you hid. When this trouble began and wait by the stone, I will shoot three arrows on the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, go find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you, bring them here, then come. Because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe. There is no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I discussed, remember the Lord is witness between you and me forever. So David hid in the field, and when the new moon feast came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall, opposite Jonathan. But David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day, for he thought something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. 
Then David said to his son Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away to see my brothers. That is why he has not come to the king's table. Um, Saul's anger flared up at him. Jonathan, at Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious, rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me for you must die, right? So Saul, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now and this is where it's like, again, so, again, attached to like what Saul's expectation or, you know, thinking about what and how his legacy or world should look. Whereas Jonathan in his godness is so secure in that legacy. So much so that he loves himself. He loves David as he loves himself because he loves himself, because he knows what it is to be childlike and know that as God, the kingdom resides in him. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. On the second day of the feast, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. In the morning, David went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him, and he said to the boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. As the, as the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, isn't the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing about all this, only Jonathan and David knew. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go, carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times. With his face to the ground, then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to town. So if you're still with me after all of that reading, I thank you, but I thought it was just so wonderful to read that story um, and, and understand kind of where I'm coming from with new paradigm relationships, right? So he, Jonathan knew his purpose and he also knew what David's purpose was. So much so that he was so nourished that he was able to overcome tribe and caste and programming to stay respectful, even when his father is call, calling him and his mother an idiot. Um... All, and all the while, while still fulfilling his own destiny. So this really is the new paradigm relationships in action, like that Jesus was talking about. To no longer like go an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? Um, and this is where it's so interesting because my kids, so Sissy is now five and brother is six. Um, and they're always, you know, as siblings do, fighting over things and looking for ways to hold something over the other one's head. And then when the other one acts in retaliation, of course, what do they say? Well, they did it first. And this is what Jesus was talking about, right? Like no longer an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but you turn the other cheek. And this isn't where like, and this took me a long time to figure out, but like Jesus isn't literally saying just sacrifice yourself right? Turn the other cheek. You take the projection that the other person is putting on you. 
you know, as just, oh, okay, because they don't know any better. It's you do as Jonathan did. You hold your pose. You stand in the line of your own destiny as God, and you just let it play out. You know, so when I am now talking to sissy and brother, I struggle sometimes to find the words to say. Like that his path is his own path, right? And if he doesn't want to be God in this moment, then you allow him to be. But you also let him know that that's not acceptable behavior towards you and you will not receive it, um, right? So she's taking responsibility for herself and then also mirroring what Elisha's self-responsibility is. So, so the, and then this connects to my own life, to be honest, about how do we all live in the world but not be of it? And this is the new yogic path that we're creating. This is the new dharmic path. I just had a really good conversation with a friend today where this is where we're talking about. It's like, it is time for us to be men. For me, like it's time to stand in my responsibility and what is my responsibility and how, you know, even when it hurts to say that I am abusive, you know, emotionally or manipulatively to my wife or to my kids or to my friends, you know, or I'm a coward, like to take responsibility of that, right? Because Christ in Christ consciousness that is lives in all of us, my true disciple will pick up their cross and carry it. Um, and then, and then all we can do is just mirror that to society. And, and then again, right, do the best you can and be unattached to the results of our actions. Um, so if you've made it through this whole episode, I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you will go on this journey with us. Uh, I'm gonna have a lot of interviews on this. And really, there's gonna be con- candid, very, very candid conversations like this um, where we're just talking about yeah, relationships and, and what is our relationships to each other, to things, to our own, yeah, of all, all varying factors. So I, uh, I wish you love, my friends, and um, we will talk soon.